Hey, good morning. Welcome to The Orchard. I'm glad you're here with us today on this Palm Sunday. I want to start by telling you about my four-year-old daughter named Selah. You know, she was scheduled for a C-section. And I remember when we arrived at the hospital early, we got settled, we got on our gowns, got on our masks, and then they wheeled Amy, my wife, away. The next time I would see her would be in the operating room. And the next time I saw her, I would also see my little girl. I was so nervous. I was so excited. I had more energy in that waiting room than anyone should have. The nurse came in and they said they were, were, they're prepping Amy. And so I said, well, well, hold on. Like, what can I do? And she looked at me a little perplexed and she goes, what can you do? Nothing. What should you do? Just wait. <laughs> Which is probably the hardest thing to do was just wait and relax at that moment. And, and you know waiting rooms, don't you? I mean, they're the worst. Even if it's just a routine physical. In the, in the waiting room, you know you're about to go take a test to see if your body passes for another year. And it seems like every year I get older, my grades just keep on slipping further down. I mean, waiting rooms are the worst. You know there's something coming and you're, you're forced into this space where all you can do is, as the nurse said, you should just wait. Waiting is the space between where you are and where you hope to be. And so there I am in that waiting room, my, my wife and my daughter in the delivery room, and I'm a bundle of nerves. And, and on that day, I was wearing a Fitbit. You know, it tracks how many steps I take and all those things. And, and, and when the day your child is born, as, as the man, as the dad, you're not working out much. I'm not, out, I'm, I'm not going for a jog. I'm not walking around much. You go to the hospital. Your baby's born. You're there with your wife. You hold your baby. You spend the day there. You spend the night there. Well, here's a photo from my Fitbit on that day. Now, <laughs> I was only in the waiting room for 15 minutes. I was only, and the waiting room was only like 10 paces wide. It was a small little one, a tiny little room near the OR. And can you tell which 15 minutes I was in the waiting room? Yeah, that little picture right there is all you need to know about the waiting rooms of life. We waste a lot of energy when we're waiting. We find ourselves something, anything to distract us or busy us. And interesting, right now, we find ourselves doing a lot of waiting, don't we? I mean, unless you're one of the frontline essential workers, your life has most likely slowed down considerably. And if you are one of those frontline essential work workers who keeps us healthy and safe and protected, I want you to know that we love you and, and that we are so proud of you and that we're praying protection for you. And, and if you're the spouse or a child or a sibling or a parent of one of these heroes, we're praying for you too. You and your family are deeply affected by this and, and we honor you for that. We thank you. And, and as a church and people, we pray for you. But for most of us, we have been tasked with one thing to do during this season. Wait. <laughs> they call it sheltering in place. They, they call it quarantine, or as one classical poet named William Madison once said, more like borantine, am I right? I mean, boredom is real during the shelter in place. We're told to stay in our houses, don't leave unless it's essential. And so we find ourselves waiting. And it looks like we're gonna have to wait longer than we had hoped which is always the case with the waiting room. Seasons of waiting always last longer than we hope. 
and are often harder than we ever expect. If we're honest, though, we have zero experience in this kind of weight. We haven't been here before as a people group, as a society. We consider it a long wait if we're in traffic for an hour, if our delivery is a day past due. But, but this, we have no context for this. We have no training for this kind of weight. We have no experience for this. We're off the charted map. So I want to talk to us today about this because it looks like it's going to be a little longer of season for us. We're going to be doing this for, I don't know, weeks, month, months. But one thing is true. This season of waiting will be over at some point. It's not forever. And if that's the case, it's best for us to just pause today and ask, how will I be changed by this season of waiting? It seems like a strange question because the question we want to ask is, when's it going to be over? But consider this question. How will you be different on the other side of this? I mean, besides having to put on real pants or makeup, I mean, how will you be different in your character, in your faith, in your relationships, in in your family? Because how we perceive this time is going to make all the difference on the type of faith and the person who emerges at the end of this. And we have a few options ahead of us right now, and that's great news because you may feel like you're out of options. Like all I have to do is is just stay home. But you have options. There's an incredible fork in the road through this season of waiting. One path is gonna see you just surviving in this season. And when, it, when, when that ends, then your faith and your mental health and, and your emotional strength and your relationships, they're going to be strained and depleted because you're just trying to survive. But there's a path through this season. And on the other side of it, the result is a stronger faith, a more resilient mind, a greater grit in your character more love for God and others in your heart, and and more intimacy in those relationships, more freedom than you've ever known. And I know, I know, you you think I'm crazy for saying this, but believe me, it hasn't been that long yet. I'm I'm still good. I want to look at an ancient account in Exodus, this is the second book in the whole Bible, and we find God's people in captivity in Egypt. They're captive with no hope of rescue because the forces of Egypt are modern and mighty compared to these underfed and undertrained slave laborers. But then Moses is called by God to, to, to be the leader who would set the people free. And you may know the story, you may know the knot. It's, Exodus is a fascinating read if you want to catch up on that. But Moses goes before Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the planet, and he tells him, he says, let my people go. And of course, Pharaoh doesn't like this idea. But over the course of the next couple chapters, God shows his glory and might is greater than any Pharaoh or any king on the earth. I'm going to skip through a lot of this because Moses then leads the people out of Egypt, out of captivity, and leads them into the wilderness as free men and free women. These are people who've been slaves for multiple generations. This is all they've known. They haven't known anything different but slavery. They've been set free by God's power. 
These are people who are bound for the promised land, yet they have, they have quite a trip ahead of them. Now, the journey from Egypt to the promised land, it may seem like a long one, but and here's just a question for you in your living room, and you can answer this out loud, please, with the people around you. How many months, weeks, or days do you think this journey from Egypt to the promised land would have taken on foot? Go ahead, answer that. How long to walk from Egypt to the promised land? The answer, 11 days. It's an 11-day trip on foot. They leave Egypt in Exodus 13, but it's not 11 days to the promised land. They don't get there until four books later in Joshua chapter 3. This 11-day journey takes 40 years. Now, some of you may know why, some of you may not. But in a nutshell, here's some reasons. You see, God rescued them from captivity. He ransomed them. He brought them out of slavery. He called them to come be my people. But all they had known was captivity. They hadn't known freedom. They don't know what it's like to live in freedom. It took 40 years to work captivity out of them and to work God's identity into them. You see, you can take the people out of Egypt, but God wanted to take Egypt out of the people. You can take the people out of slavery, but he wanted to take the slavery out of these people because they worshiped false idols. They had no care for holiness or, or for honor. They weren't concerned with loving God, loving people. And because of this, they went through a time of waiting there in that wilderness. And in that season, God wanted to work some of the old ways out of them. And he wanted to weave some new ways into them. He wanted to break off their worship of dead idols. And he, he wanted to build their worship of the one living God. You see, here in Exodus the waiting for them wasn't a nuisance. For those people, it was a necessity. And here's a quick snapshot of what they did for those 40 years as they traveled and camped 11 days from where they should be going. The monotony must have just been bone crushing. And sometimes they would travel. They didn't know when. They'd stop. They'd set up camp. They'd shelter in place until it was time to move on. They might do this for a day or, or a month or, or multiple months. They'd pack up, travel some more, set up camp, shelter until it was time to move on. Every morning, the same. Every noon, the same. Every evening, the same. It's like that movie Groundhog Day. Every day, the same. Same people in the tent with them. Same people in the community around them. For the most part, the same scenery, just a different angle. These days ran together. The, the weeks were a blur. The months were a wash. And it doesn't say it in the Hebrew, but I'm sure there were many days that these people just stayed in their pajamas. I mean, there was probably a day where, where one person had to get a haircut from a spouse for the first time. <laughs> My wife's going to experience this, and you'll all get to see the results. No pressure, Amy. These people, they quarreled. They tried to occupy themselves. They, they blamed others. They blamed themselves. They, we see all through this account of what they go through. And through it all, 
they grumble and they complain about the waiting because we're not meant to wait, are we? We don't like it. There they were in this season of waiting and, and they didn't want to be there. It was thrust upon them and they hated it. They complained about it. They fought against it. They disobeyed against it. And at every turn, all they desired was to get out of the wait. And they had no clue that God wanted to wait to get in to them. We find ourselves in a situation much like these people with a weight thrust upon us, extended time of, of waiting ahead of us. And now before you throw anything at the screen, I, I promise I don't think we're going to be doing this for 40 years. It could be 40 days. Who knows? There will be an end, but the truth of the matter is this. We don't know how long. So we are in a series of waiting, and I want to ask you, how do you view this time? Like, like how do you view the weeks ahead? What's your emotional feeling about this and this for a while? You see, the season of waiting is either a curse or it's an opportunity. It, it just depends on your perspective. In fact, the Japanese word for crisis, which is what we are in right now, the Japanese word for crisis is the combination of two symbols. The first symbol means danger, and the second means opportunity. That a crisis is both danger and opportunity. And in this season, you get to choose which of those two you're going to make your focus. And that, my friend, will make all the difference. If we have our eyes to see and we have our hearts set to pursue God, then this season of waiting will do for us and in us what it did for those ancient people in the wilderness. You see, because they were taken out of Egypt and away from everything they had known and everything they had learned and everything they had worshipped was gone. They were in the wilderness in this waiting and none of it was available to them. You see, wilderness seasons are difficult, but the first thing to understand and maybe write down is this, that, that the season of waiting brings clarity. You, you learn pretty quick in the wait what matters, what truly matters. You get a clear view of your life and you see what was just window dressing and what's foundational. You know, we have a culture that worships athletes and now our stadiums are empty. We have a culture that worships Hollywood and now our theaters are empty. We have a, a culture that worships musicians and now our concerts are empty. We have a culture that worships money and, well, waiting reveals what you worship. Wilderness seasons of waiting, they have a way of removing the things that we thought were so valuable. I mean, what was so important to us a month ago? Our, our March Madness bracket, our, our vacation plans, our, our job dissatisfaction, our gripes or drama with coworkers or, or family members, our gripes about a lot of things and our plans and hopes for minor things. And all of a sudden, those things fell in the correct place. And for many of us, they descended down the hierarchy to the actual importance that we see now. Because many of us are seeing clearly what has mattered most the entire time. Faith, family, friends. The truth is that a season of waiting clarifies what is most important. And suddenly, 
You're spending less time on the phone playing work and you're spending more time on the floor playing with your kid. Suddenly, my, my faith isn't just an accessory. My faith is a daily necessity. In seasons like this, we see just how important our relationships are, are don't we? And how our friendships. And for some of us, it took an experience like this to finally get us to the point to say, I love you to the people we've loved all along. It took this season for us to reach out to those people who mean the most. It took a crisis to turn down or turn off all the noise of our culture and quiet our heart enough to finally hear the call of God. Now, He's been calling you to come back this whole time. And, And here in this time of waiting, you're hearing Him, aren't you? You see, waiting clarifies what what is most important so that we can make changes. You see, in in the waiting, we experience something called pruning. Now, you know what pruning is, right? It's when you're gardening or you're growing a plant and, and you snip off certain limbs or places so that you can grow more flowers or more fruit or more vegetables. And oftentimes, you'll see a limb that isn't producing the way you want. But even though it's not producing, energy continues to go to it. The energy is just, just wasted. And in our lives, there are areas that we have poured a lot of energy into that have not produced the kind of fruit or the amount of fruit that we want. Vices, secret sins, distractions, entertainment, whatever. Places in our life that take up a great deal of our energy with very little growth to show from it. Jesus talks about pruning. In John 15, he, he tells us how he, he prunes our lives so there's more faith and more character and more love. Pruning is cutting off that which is needless so that that which is needed can grow in its place. Pruning cuts off that that is unfruitful so that in its place, fruit can be present in your character, in your marriage, in your faith. Pruning removes what is unnecessary in the present so that what is needed for the future can begin to grow. Let me say that again. Pruning removes what is unnecessary in the present so that what is needed for the future can start to grow. The application here is clear. In the waiting, what is unnecessary in the present is revealed. And you now have an opportunity to let go of some things that have entangled you for the past months or years or decades. The the waiting clarifies for us the places in our life that that we can and, and that we maybe should cut out. Those things that entangle us and ensnare us in our character, in our integrity, those vices that have claws in us, those things that detract from the relationships that matter most. And this is one of the greatest opportunities you could ever have to prune the places that that have held you back so that when you come out on the other side of this, you have a new freedom like you never had before. Hebrews 12.1 says that we should just throw off everything that holds us back. Prune it. And those sins that so easily entangle us, cut them out. 
in the waiting, you now have a divine moment of clarity to see what matters most and what you can cut out. So what do you need to prune? What has this time revealed to you? It's time to cut it out. Cut it out of your life. So that when this is over, you can walk free. That said, I know this is a very difficult season, and, and I do think it's going to get harder. I'm not sugarcoating this. I'm not pretending this is just a time for fun. It's, it's not. I'm tired of it. I want it to be over. I, I want all this to just go away. But um, it's not going to. Not yet. And when you know you have to go through something, the only choice you have is how do I go through it? So the challenge is this. What do we now do in the wait? What do we do with this time? Because I, and maybe you, want to emerge from this season, this temporary season, with a stronger faith and a greater freedom. Here's another perspective challenge for you. This season of, of waiting could be perceived as just isolation from the life that you love so much. A time where you are separated from the life that you just want to be living. But I want to pro propose today that this isn't a season of isolation from real life. This isn't isolation. This season is incubation. You see, in isolation, we slowly wither and we die. But in incubation, we slowly grow and thrive. In incubation, we grow in us what we need for what is yet to come. When my son Elijah was born six, me six weeks early, he had to remain in incubation. And I, I could have gotten upset at the isolation that he was in. I, I couldn't hold him, and, and I could have done everything in my power to just get him out of that situation in that circumstance. I could have grabbed my son and taken off the wires and, and left. But the truth was, it wasn't isolation, it was incubation. That had I removed him from that season, he would not have thrived. You see, what was happening inside my son during incubation was invisible to me. It was something I couldn't see, but something that was being worked deep into the fabric of, of his body and who he was. And it was building him for the next season that he had to face. And this time right now is no different for you. You see, this season is an incubator for your faith, for your character, for your integrity, your perseverance, for your love of your family, for your friends, for your love of your enemies, for the love that, that you need to have for those that are different than you. You see, there will be growth that you cannot see working deep within you in the fabric of who you are during this season. And through this season, you have an opportunity to grow in a way you never would have gotten out there in that rat race that we were a part of. Is this time stressful? Yes. Is it fearful? Yes, it can be. Are there financial concerns? Absolutely. Are there health concerns? Yes. I'm not downplaying that. In fact, go back and listen to my last three messages because we talk about how to face those things. And we're going to keep talking about that. But for now, right now, at this message, at this moment, it's about this season of waiting ahead of us. 
that we have to be honest, that we cannot change. We're going to go through this season of waiting. And, and I suspect that you've already seen some of the clarity it's given you for what matters most. And, and you know there's invisible growth available as you pursue and wait on God in this incubating season. Isaiah 43, 40 verses 31 it does not say, those that wait upon the end of shelter order shall be strengthened. No. It doesn't say when the wait's over, you'll be strengthened. It says this, those that wait upon God shall be strengthened. As you wait on God in this incubation time, your faith is going to be strengthened. And you'll emerge ready for whatever the next season has for you. You see, you can pour all your energy into wishing, just get me out. Or you can see that there's something divine that you can get in this season. You know, I spend so much of my, try, my time trying to work my way out when what I should be praying is, God, work your way in me. Job 23.10 says, God sees the path I'm on, and after the trial, my faith will emerge as gold. It, it's purified. It's refined in the trial. 1 Peter 4 tells us, don't be surprised when you go through hard seasons. And 1 Peter 1 tells us, because our faith, that's worth far more than gold, will be tested. And through that, will result in praise and honor of Jesus. That, that through these seasons as we wait upon Him, as we keep our eyes focused on Him, as we, our, our character is incubated, as our faith is grown, we emerge stronger. You see, these ancient people there in that wilderness, they waited for 40 years for God to work old ways out of them and work divine ways in them. And perhaps, and this is my challenge, you can view the next 40 days that way. That there are some old ways that God desires to work out of you. And there are some divine new ways He wants to work in you. And that's this season. It's an opportunity to grow, to prune in a way you never have before. So the questions are these. What do you need to prune? Like this morning, that's the question. What, what do you need to prune out of your life during this season? What do you need to cut out? What's become clear that is not going to serve you when this ends? And how do you need to pursue God differently in this so that your faith and your character can be strengthened? We're going to go through this, but how will you emerge on the other side? You know, this Sunday right now is Palm Sunday. In the Bible, that's when Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem to begin his final week before being crucified and resurrected. This holy week for Jesus was, was the waiting room for all that was to come. But know this, just like sheltering in place will end, Jesus' wait this week is going to end as well. Because you see, he was crucified and he was buried. And for three days, all of heaven and earth waited until he resurrected. And at that moment, our souls got the opportunity to move out of the waiting room and into the delivery room. 
Because that's what Jesus offers. That's his offer to you today. The delivery of a new life. Uh, the delivery to be born again. The delivery of salvation and deliverance from sin and shame and your past. And so because of the work of Jesus, we move from the waiting room to the delivery room. And the delivery room is where all that was promised becomes reality. So I want to join you for, I want to ask you to join us for next week as we, we look at this very thing. And I'm going to pray for us, but then I have an announcement for what next week's going to look like. So let me pray for us first. Jesus, we are in this strange time that we are not accustomed to. but you are showing us clearly what is most important. And I pray that we would not view this as isolation, but as incubation. And I pray that in this time, you would begin to grow all of our faith and our character and our love for each other. I pray that you would keep us strong. And I bless the people as they seek you. Father, I pray you give us great courage today to make a stand and prune and cut out those things that we know we don't need, that we know we need to get rid of, but now has become very clear. And this is an opportunity to make the change, to emerge differently. Give us that courage. And, and Lord, we, we finish with Psalm 27, 13 and 14, and we stand on this. I remain confident that I will see the goodness of the Lord while I am alive. So wait upon the Lord. Be strong, take heart, and wait on the Lord. Amen. Now, next week is Resurrection Sunday, and I want us to take communion together. And so this week, I want you to bake, make, or buy some crackers or some bread, get some juice, some wine, because we're going to do communion together on Sunday. Also, I want to, as your lead pastor, I want to thank many of you for your generous giving to God through this season. We know that God's our provider. I mean, we say it's all God's anyways, and we believe that. And it's always moving to me when you are moved to give and support the vision here of the orchard. Love God and love people. And it means more now than ever. There's a link on your screen to our website that you can give to digitally or mail in. But please know just how grateful I am for your continued support. I want you to know that I'm praying for you. I'm excited to be on the other side of this with you. I cannot wait. We're going we're gonna to blow the doors off this place. In the meantime, pause and consider what things God wants to work out of you in this time and, and what things he wants to work in you in this time of incubation. A new season will come after this. That's true. He's building you for it here in this waiting room. I love you. I'm praying for you. Love God and love people.